0: Hello, and welcome to the Potential Psychology Podcast. I'm your host, Ellen Jackson, and it's my mission to share the science of human behavior in a practical, fun, and inspiring way. In each podcast episode, I interview an expert from the fields of psychology, well-being, leadership, parenting, or high performance. I pick their brain to uncover what they know about living well, what tips do they have for you and I, and I quiz them about how they apply their expertise in their own life. Join me as we discover simple, science-backed ways to live, learn, flourish, and fulfill your potential. Hello and welcome to episode 53 of the Potential Psychology podcast, a very special episode as I'm here on site at the 6th World Congress on Positive Psychology at the Melbourne Convention and Exhibition Centre. And the Congress is a four-day event hosted by the International Positive Psychology Association and their event partner, the Centre for Positive Psychology at the University of Melbourne. And I am here as one of, I think, around a 1,000 delegates from over 50 countries who are learning from speakers from over 30 nations, all experts in some domain of positive psychology and the science of human flourishing. And one of the goals of the International Positive Psychology Association and the Congress is to share the findings of positive psychology with the broadest possible international audience. So I figured what better way to support and serve that goal than to share my experience of the Congress all four days, what I'm seeing and hearing, what I'm learning and who I'm meeting with you here on the podcast. So let's go, shall we? I am... At Southern Cross Station here in Melbourne, I've just arrived from Ballarat and I'm going to go and look for a cow up a tree. I'm joining teams of World Congress delegates in the International Positive Psychology Association, or IPA's, Wellbeing Adventure Race around Melbourne, one of the very first events for the Congress. And this is an opportunity for delegates to explore Melbourne, get to know one another, and discover new wellbeing strategies in a kind of fun, competitive, amazing race-style scavenger hunt. So let's go and find that cow up a tree. So I don't know about the race participants, but I've just made my first mistake. Don't trust Google Maps in the big city because I think the buildings and things interfere and uh, um, I don't know, it's just sent me all over the place. So I have found the cow up a tree and I have found Dr Aaron Jarden who is here as one of the waypoint Czech people, I suppose might be the term and um, he's guiding and, and giving certain activities which we'll find out a bit more about shortly in our wellbeing race. So, Aaron, you are one of the organisers of this, yes?
1: Correct, yes. Yes.
0: And what's the purpose of the wellbeing race?
1: Well, I guess it's got three purposes. One is for people to meet new people that they don't know, so there's a lot of people that are coming by themselves, so it's a good chance to make some friends and and meet some new people. The second is to see a bit of Melbourne, get out and about, so a lot of people that go to conferences or congresses just uh, stay in a hotel, go to the conference and fly home. This is a chance to actually see what Melbourne has to offer, some great landmarks and get out and about. And the third is really to learn some wellbeing skills in a a very interactive, applied way while they're here. So meeting new people, getting out and about into the environment, seeing some of Melbourne but actually learning some wellbeing skills and resilience skills um, along the way.
0: Okay, so there's definitely a positive psychology slant to the exercise.
1: There definitely is, although that's not really where it came from. I used to teach a course called the Psychology of Stress and if you look at that literature there's a lot of stress reduction workshops and hardly any of them are effective. You know, a year later, uh, people that do those kinds of work workshops, don't remember anything, they haven't made any changes or applied anything. And I was just sort of thinking, you know, how can we integrate a lot of these activities into people's lives better? And that means you've got to sort of take them out of the classroom and into the environment to do it. It was sort of that coupled with an idea of team building. So rather than your traditional yearly team building, let's do a bizarre activity or go to the pub. Uh, where it's just taking people out of a stressful environment for a day, but actually let's teach them some skills. Um, And that's where the idea of um, skill building out in the environment came, and then we gave it a bit of an amazing race kind of feel.
0: Excellent. Fantastic. And so this is not the first time you've done this particular event or run this particular event, is it?
1: That's correct. This is the third time. It takes a bit to organise one of these. (laughs) Uh, This is the first time we're doing it by a waypoint, organisation, so before it was everyone just came along we went from one activity to another. Um, this time the team's a bit like orienteering and can choose where to go. So it's okay. a bit more complicated to set up this time.
0: Okay, so they work their way, or they have to gather a number of points, so they attend a number of checkpoints, which are Quite well spread around Melbourne, I've seen, from looking at the map, Yeah. So, and they don't have all day to do it in, it is actually time limited, isn't it?
1: Yeah, so the race started at 1.30 and they need to be back at the convention centre by four, uh, so they've basically got just over two hours to get around, uh, see some of Melbourne, learn some skills. And
0: yeah. what are some of the sillier activities you've got them doing?
1: So there are activities, <laughs> uh, I'm not sure how you'd classify Well, <laughs> maybe do- fun, okay, or, one, or maybe
0: purposeful, I don't know. <laughs> one
1: of the activities is called Five Ways to Wellbeing, yep. so we get them to pair up, uh, and we don't tell them what to do, and we say, draw a picture of your partner without looking down at your page. Uh, so they sketch the other person without looking at what they're drawing. Uh, then we explain there's a, there's a model of well-being called the Five Ways to Wellbeing, and it taps into different ways to build your well-being such as uh, connecting, taking notice, keeping learning, giving and being active are the five ways and we say that activity that you just did tapped multiple ways to improve your well-being you were taking notice of the other person, you were learning about your drawing abilities uh, you were definitely connecting with the eye contact, uh, not so much be active and at the end we get them to sign their name and pass it over so they're giving something away they're always sort of teaching the, the idea and the skill that building your well-being isn't about doing one thing but activities can build your well-being through multiple pathways to well-being so a lot of people like that activity, it's a really fun one to do uh, developed by Nick Marks from the New Economics Foundation in the UK, is where we got that one. Cool, but,
0: very cool. So it's a very experiential. And do you do any kind of oh, no, not that I want to get too scientific about it, but kind of pre or post measures, or do you just ask people at the end, you know, how have you found? the whole race has it been fun or is it really just watching their faces and seeing just
1: watching their faces there's no there's no evaluation or measurement but you would have seen at the start uh, there was a lot of laughter and each activity like the five ways or some of the activities are a little bit more serious like savouring is not so much much laughter going on Uh, this one here where we're at now it's about capturing the awe and beauty of the environment but yeah some of the others are, are more interactive uh, or have higher positive emotions, I suppose.
0: Fantastic. I'm going to go and find some of your colleagues at the other waypoints to see what they've got to say and see what they've um, experienced themselves over the course of the day. Thank you. No problem. I am on a tram. We're in action here. I'm on a tram and I have just run into a wonderful group of ladies who have been doing the wellbeing race this afternoon. I've got Anne-Marie, Julie, looking at Name Tazzy Guitar and Helen. And how have you found the race this afternoon?
2: A lot of fun. Uh, yeah, we've really enjoyed it. We really enjoyed the Centre for Positive Psychology at the um, Melbourne University, loved the work that they're doing and experiencing the new app that they're working on. Um, and then we, we've had fun getting around. We've learnt
0: some new things about each other and and shared some, you know, some secrets, I guess, about each other as well, maybe. <laughs> Good, well, that was part of the role of the exercise, wasn't it? It's was to get to know each other. Um, did, did you know each other at all? Is this the first time
3: you've met? No. we all just met
0: Fantastic and what was it that they got you to do or what what was the kind of most fun activity that you ended up
3: at? after? Well, in addition to the one that she already mentioned at the Positive Psychology Centre, we did an interview of one another, so quick questions to get to know each other deeply, so that was a lot of fun as well. So,
0: absolutely a good way to get to know each other. <laughs> <laughs> and quick and unusual circumstances. Yes. <laughs> and was there anything else, what was it that you enjoyed
4: most? I think I enjoyed the most
0: how intelligent and how relevant, meaningful the activities were. It was not just, not, it was not just jumping up and down they were really based in research and theory so I like that so you got to learn as well as experience exactly. yeah. and get to know these yeah. other Yes, as meaningful well. learning at all levels and what are you most looking at oh actually some of the um, main speakers actually so Martin Seligman this evening um, is definitely a highlight uh, Barbara, Barbara Fredrickson I think on Sunday Kim Cameron so yeah some of the big names really um, it would be great to see them in person rather than just reading their material so <laughs> it would be awesome Bring it to life a little. Yeah. Thank you all so much. I'm glad you've had a great afternoon. So I'm with Dr. Susan Green, who is here at her
5: waypoint. And what are we doing here? We're doing closer connections, Ellen. So this is based on some research by Arthur Aron, famous research psychologist, uh, that in the initial study I think was 36 questions, but we've had to shorten it to 10 questions. So they're formed pairs, and they're working through a series of 10 questions to build closer connections. And then they have to stare into each other's eyes for four minutes oh, without speaking. And what is that like? <laughs> is that their of discomfort? A, a lot, a lot. A lot of, um, you know, the body language is uh, showing telling all. Um, but, no, we've had uh, a number of teams come through and they've all done really, really well. Okay, and
0: they've yeah. given you feedback. Like, how do they feel afterwards? They feel good. I'll
5: ask them later when I get Yeah, <laughs> and you, you never know. There might be some romances that come out of this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that don't know each other. Right? Absolutely, um, yeah.
5: from across Great the world, good. yeah.
0: So one of the opportunities is to actually connect and get to know people who are going to be here over Yeah,
5: absolutely. So I think okay. it's uh, fulfilled its job.
0: Okay, fantastic. Yeah. We'll see you back at the end. Thanks, Ellen. So I'm here with a few other team members who have just completed the race. Who have I got here? I've got Philippa. How did you find it? I had to balance the... Competitiveness
3: with the <laughs> positiveness of
0: being grateful
6: and savoring things, but also wanting to get onto the next, the next spot. So yep. that was a bit of a challenge. But we had a great team,
7: didn't we? We were, yeah, really enjoyed it and worked
6: together.
0: Got fantastic. to know each other. Yeah. had fun. Yeah, fantastic. What was the best exercise or activity or thing you learned?
1: Oh well, we had this egg to look after for ah, the whole yes. journey, so yes. we became really protective of this egg, and you know it was great concern within our team that that it was okay. Somebody
7: looks after the egg. Yeah,
1: (laughs) and thankfully we got back and, you know, it was fine. And I can
0: see the egg sitting there happily in a coffee cup Yeah,
1: part part of the family from now on, I think. Yeah, very
0: intact. And Bess, what did you enjoy most about the afternoon? Well, I'm a planner, so I had pre-planned the entire route and unfortunately we did not reach all of the
4: destinations. (laughs) I was was devastated. However, it was great fun. We worked well together. We had some local knowledge. I enjoyed the gratitude letter, which we did at Flinders
5: Street Station. I had done one before, but it was nice nice to stop for five minutes and just make some thoughtful thoughts about someone important. It was good.
1: Rachel here uh, to join us on a a short march down to the end of the building, which starts in 12 minutes. So at the moment, we're busy making placards, And then at the end of the march, March will finish at 4.55 for anyone that needs to walk back.
0: The winning team has been announced for the well Wellbeing Adventure Race around Melbourne. The prizes are awarded and celebrations have been had, but it's a jam-packed schedule here at the Congress, and we are moving right along to the next activity. I've got Dr Jo Mitchell with me now, and she has not only just been one of the organisers and waypoint check people for the <laughs> adventure race... But she is also now leading us through a wellbeing march for Action for Happiness. Joe, tell us a little bit about this. Yeah,
2: we're super excited. This is our first kind of public march for a kinder, more compassionate and connected world. So it's run by Action for Happiness Australia, which is a charity and it's under our campaign, which is Haptivist. So you'll see a bunch of people around the conference with Haptivist t-shirts on um, over the next few days.
0: Okay, And this is a little different. This is like a protest march, except we're not protesting against something, are
2: we? No, exactly. I'd think of it more as a peace march. Like There's something that we want and that is this idea of a happier world. So how do we get that? And we, we talk about it as kindness, compassion Connection, so we're going to be out there, and we've got a whole lot of beautiful, colourful placards with everything from "Hope is where the heart is" to "Be kind," to "Be happy and smile." What do we want? Compassion. When do we want it? Now. And
0: so, music. We're going to have some fun, spreading a bit of happiness and positivity. Yep, a exactly. Way to kick off the conference. Exactly.
5: Thank you, Jo. Thank you. you ready? All right. You ready to do this? Okay. <laughs> so let's go have some fun. <laughs>
0: We are walking along the waterfront here in Melbourne and it's glorious actually. It's, the rain has stopped after a couple of weeks of fairly solid rain and um, it's verging on sunset and I'm watching all of our haptivists out here with their placards. There is glitter, there is uh, sequins and sparkles and as they walk along with their chant, what do we want? Compassion, what do we we want it now? I think that's it. Um, They are handing out little pamphlets and brochures and information to everyone they can see as they pass. It's a whole lot of fun. So, some more fun stuff. I am at an unplug and hug session, one of the lovely practical wellbeing events interspersed between the multitude of more conventional speaker sessions here at the Congress. And we're about to do a little mindfulness a little gratitude and, I believe, some hugging for well-being.
2: Come in, take a seat. So this session is Unplug and Hug. Time to disconnect from your devices, disconnect from the hurly-burly and the that's been going on in your heads for the last couple of days. And it's an opportunity to settle into our bodies, to reconnect to us, ourselves, at a deeper level. And then we're going to actually use the cards and a little activity to reconnect with each other in a different and deeper way. And unplug and hug, I hope you're all expecting we're going to get some hugs out of this at the the very end as well Virginia Satir is famous for saying we need four hugs a day for survival, eight for maintenance and twelve for growth, we've got enough people here, here each to get twelve hugs heart to heart hugs are what I want to finish with, most of us when we hug we actually go one way which is not a heart to heart Heart to heart hugs or your left hand goes up. Think about it, you're a plane banking that way. <laughs> your left hand goes up so that your hearts are actually closer. Sure. Can I have somebody like to volunteer and give me a hug? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah.
2: So the idea is left hand up so that we actually have our hearts. <laughs> <I'm glad. laughs>
0: I am with Nicola Viscom. And we have just done an unplug and hug session, which is something a little bit different, here isn't it? At the <laughs> and it was glorious, I have to say. But, Nicola, can you tell us a bit about what we were doing and how you came to be delivering this kind of workshop here at the Congress?
2: Well, my story is one of being a very cognitive, scientific, intellectual individual. I'm a former pharmacist, a former academic, very much lived in my head. And over the last eight plus years, it's been a journey of mine to become more embodied and live from a a heart space. And by doing so, be much happier (laughs) in the process. And I created Unplug and Hug about 18 months ago. So I've been running sessions in Adelaide and I've brought it to IPA, which is Mm -hmm. very exciting. And we take people through a process to enable them to get out of their heads and operate from less of a cognitive more of an embodied heart space taking them through breathing mindfulness of breath I've got a process that I've created to get people which you've experienced to get them really into their heart space (laughs) which uses a variety of techniques
0: and what's glorious I have to say I'm feeling very zen as a consequence (laughs) great
2: And then I use art, artwork. I actually use street art, which is quite novel, because we know that art is a medium or a means of bypassing that real cognitive side of ourselves. And you come to a conference like this, and it's a lot of cognitive Mm -hmm. scientific. Mm -hmm. So it's a way of connecting with a human being outside of that domain. So I use the artwork and... We usually find there's at least one person in the group that ends up in tears mm-hmm. as, as well. It's mm-hmm. a real profound connection with self and yeah. connection with others yes. that until you've experienced it is sometimes quite hard to explain.
0: Yeah, and it was. I mean, for me, just going through the, the, the calming of the breath and that sort of exercise, and then you took us through like a loving-kindness-type activity. So we're imagining people in our world for whom, you know, yeah. we had strong feelings, and then that kind of connection with the image... And then we finished with... Hugs! Hugs! Of course, you can't have an unplug and hug session without hugs. hugs. And so So. what did you tell us about the hugs? Because there's something special about the hugs.
2: Two things. Virginia Satie is famous for saying we need four hugs a day for survival, eight for maintenance, 12 for growth. So I was aiming for everybody to get 12 hugs.
0: And I lost count, but I'm sure (laughs) I got at least 12.
2: (laughs) We know that hugs actually activate the oxytocin system, you know, that bonding hormone which is my favorite neuropeptide being an Mm ex-pharmacist can't help it but it's also the way we do hugs so it's heart to heart which is the opposite from the way most people do it so that we actually are connecting energetically heart to heart so we're closer to the other human being from that space Mm
7: -hmm.
0: so it's left arm up you described it as kind of the Uh, (laughs) airplane yes
2: put your left arm up and pretend you're an airplane banking right Mm -hmm. Yes. Wonderful. And we
0: got an opportunity to <laughs> practice <laughs> that and we did get all our hugs. And one of the things that I noticed, which I think is a glorious thing about this particular Congress, was the international contingent that you had in oh, the room. Wasn't so beautiful? I, know, I made sure I checked, oh. I introduced myself and checked where everyone had come from and there was Mexico and South Korea and India and Indonesia and United States and it, it was glorious.
2: Guess what? We're all connected. We are. Yeah. And that was a, a means of dropping into that space and not just knowing it but hopefully feeling it.
0: Mm. Well, I'm going to take that feeling away with me for the rest of today and Wonderful. tomorrow and hopefully beyond. But thank you very much for having a chat to me. Wonderful, we'll finish off with a hug in a moment. We will indeed. I want to share some of the amazing speakers who are presenting here at the Congress, but first I thought I might take a wander around the exhibitors. So while this is in many ways a very academically oriented conference with researchers sharing the latest findings in the science of well-being, it's also a great opportunity for practitioners and organisations who are applying the science in various ways to showcase their work. So I'm here now with Diane Bellabodric and she is from the University of Melbourne Centre for Positive Psychology. And Diane is talking about BioDash, which is a feedback program, but I'm not going to tell you about it. I'm going to ask Diane. Diane, how would you describe BioDash?
6: The BioDash is an optimal performance and well-being program. It's designed to help young people in particular, but anyone um, who has got uh, performance opportunities, um, and who doesn't? I mean, yes, whether yes, it's academically, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's on the sports field, or through leisure pursuits such as you know music or or, or sport. So anyone who's interested in performance and and um, improving their wellbeing, the bio would help them. And it's aimed to try and make learning about wellbeing strategies as engaging as possible. So what we found especially working with young people in schools, is that there are a lot of amazing strategies um, that have got the backing of science, Uh, sports science, health science and positive psychology have really contributed some amazing strategies. But the problem is we found that Young people don't necessarily engage with wanting to learn about those strategies. Just
0: a bit more like more schoolwork.
6: Yeah, you know, (laughs) and oh, this is just another thing that I have to do. But the thing is, it's probably really important to learn these life skills because young people in particular are struggling with mental health issues. You know, one in four have experienced a mental health issue in the last year, and so we really need something to address this. So learning about well-being and particularly practical strategies is very important and it's unfortunate that at the moment they don't seem that engaged with learning about well-being and so that's where we do need to think about making it more engaging how do we do that and more fun for them to actually want to learn because we want them to practice as well it's not enough to just learn it They need to practice it, and then they need to be able to apply it into their real world. We've spoken to lots of young people over the years with our particular research programs, and we're starting to identify that they love technology. They really want something tangible as well. One of the issues with well-being for them is that they see it as this really nebulous, fuzzy concept, and so if they make the effort to actually try and do some well-being type of technique, whether it's a breathing exercise or mental imagery exercise or mindfulness, which is very commonly taught at school now. They want to know that it's worth their effort and it's difficult for them to gauge how much change or benefit that they've got out of this. And so BioDash tries to do this by incorporating biofeedback And biofeedback enables you to get a window inside your internal processes. So things like your respiration, your brain activity and your um, skin conductance are indicators of whether you're stressed or relaxed. And so they can try out these different well-being exercises and they can see how their body responds so they're
0: actually getting that feedback in real time yeah they're getting
6: you're feedback calming
0: your breathing down or this is what's going on with your brain waves as you practice this mindfulness meditation or whatever it might be exactly
6: right and then they can also realize that they might enjoy or might be more effective at calming themselves down or focusing by using breathing exercises instead of mindfulness, for example.
0: Okay, so tailoring it to their particular... So
6: individualised, personalised wellbeing information is really critical as well because sometimes they can think, oh, yeah, terrific, it's worked for my friend Mark over there, but I don't know that it's really going to work for me. That's really important to make it personalised, and that's another feature of the BioDash that they get feedback, and it's personalised feedback. And then a, another aspect of it is that we include gaming features, and so these are things like challenges that they're asked to do, and it could be, for example, transforming an icy winter forest landscape into a summer one. with lush green grass and waterfalls um, and the way in which you transform it is the more relaxed you are, the quicker you transform it and they get information about um, how long it's taken them and how much of the time they were in a relaxed zone versus a neutral zone versus a stress zone when they were doing it. So these gaming features keep them wanting to practice more and to better themselves. And we've also developed some apps uh, that are tailored to their scenarios, everyday scenarios as well. So with students, for example, we've developed them walking up to a stage, giving a presentation and sort of all the thought processes of their wondering what their friends are saying and whether they're going to do well or not well and so they've got to try and apply the well-being strategies that they've been taught in stressful situations realistic stressful yeah, situations
0: fantastic. So before you have to give a presentation you've sort of got an opportunity to actually practice some of this stuff That's right Work. That's right. And at the moment, so this is a, did I hear you say a six-week program? Yes,
6: yeah, so it's six sessions um, that are about an hour each.
0: Okay, okay. And at present, so is this still in kind of a research phase? Is it now being implemented in... Schools where where's it kind of at in
6: the yeah process so you know it gives me great pride to say actually that this was co-designed with young people in mind and especially boys because we thought we'll start with perhaps the most challenging group first boys teenagers uh, they're the ones that are probably the least receptive to wellbeing and so we'll work with them to try and get a program together that might excite them about learning on wellbeing. So last year we were fortunate to work with 15 Year 10 boys from Brighton Grammar School and they helped us refine the program to a state that they thought uh, would be engaging for their peers. And um, this year we've been rolling out the program with Year 9 boys at that school and we've involved those boys who were in the design process and they've been trained as coaches and so they've been coaching the Year 9 boys as well because they've used it themselves. They're helping them to think about real world transfer of knowledge you know, you've learnt about these wellbeing strategies okay, when are some opportunities to be able to practice these strategies and to apply these strategies when you need them most and they've been forming great relationships in being able to share that knowledge yeah.
0: and so where to from here,
6: what's the goal? Well the goal is to be able to make it accessible to every young person of around the age of you know 15, 16 where uh, they're cognizant enough to know about all the pressures of life and feel the strains of, you know, having to perform academically, lots of social pressure as well. So it's a a pivotal time in their lives where they do experience a lot of performance anxiety and to have a tool like this help them during this phase is really important, especially as they're leading up to more intense studies, you know, with VCE, for example. And so it would be terrific to enable every young person person around this age to have the bio program and learn these valuable life skills that they can be applying. And I think it is really important because if a young person around this age has a mental illness and it hasn't been intercepted in a favourable way with a program like this, then it's very likely that they're going to go into their adulthood with the same mental health issues. And so we need to find innovative and creative ways and meet people where they're at with technology and ways that are going to interest them so that they want to learn about wellbeing and that it normalises thinking about well-being as something that's part of their whole health routine as much as they go to the gym and want to enjoy exercising because it's going to enhance their health they should be thinking about mental fitness in the same way so I would actually love to see every school have a bio hub where there are a couple of these um, devices and programs that have been set up um, where young people can go and practice if they're about to sit an exam they can go in there half an hour beforehand and try and relax or focus using the physiology and devices but the good thing is that they don't have to be attached to these devices all the time it just gives them some insight that they can then walk away with um, and have more confidence in their everyday sort of uh, life. Use the skills. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the biofeedback and the devices and equipment are there as a guide when they need it, but not something that they depend on throughout their life.
0: Fantastic! I'm so excited to see. Just This is just one example of the wonderful ways in which we're starting to apply a lot of this well-being science to the practical, tangible ways to help people in our, all our institutions and our communities. And um, congratulations, I think it's very cool. I've got an 11-year-old son who, yeah coming up to that age I can see it happening and hopefully this will be the kind of thing that will be as you say available in in schools or or there to assist him and his peers in the next few years yes
6: well that's certainly the hope for me as well and I think it has so many applications too in workplaces um, for athletes as well who experience a lot of pressure and particularly those that Uh, at the crossroads and determining they might make it their profession or not and they really need to have that mental toughness to be able to focus and to be able to relax at the right time and have the right level of arousal and be in the zone and this sort of technology that's available is perfect for them to be able to fine-tune
0: those skills. (laughs) A heap of applications. Thank you so much, Diane. Oh, my pleasure. There are over 180 speaker sessions over the four days of this Congress, way too many for one brain, certainly my brain. And they're catering for every interest with different tracks or themes, including body and brain, emotions, global perspectives, individuals and families, meaning, motivation, positive education, strengths, technology, work and organisations, positive health and wellness and cool topics. And I'm very drawn to the cool topics track, but I also love attending events like these for the opportunity to see how big thinkers speak people like Jonathan Haidt, author of The Happiness Hypothesis, Finding Modern Truth in Ancient Wisdom, The Righteous Mind, Why Good People are Divided by Politics and Religion, and The Coddling of the American Mind, How Good Intentions and Bad Ideas are Setting Up a Generation for Failure. And this was co-written by, with Greg Lukianoff, and that is the topic that Haidt is speaking on here at the IPA World Congress.
7: So why else, in addition to social media, why else... Uh, is, is teen social, is teen happiness cratering. Why else? So that's what, that's what my book is about with Greg. Um, briefly, Greg's story is this, because this is all Greg's idea. Greg is the one who, had, who realized what was going on and came to me to talk about it. Uh, so Greg is the president of the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education. It's an organization that defends students' free speech rights on campus. It started in the 1990s, and so they've always been pushing back against administrators who are trying to restrict what students can say. So Greg has this job since 2000, um, but he's prone to depression, and in 2007, he has his most serious depression by far, he makes very specific plans to commit suicide. At the last moment, he calls 911, and they talk him down, and they convince him to check himself into a hospital. So he checks into a hospital, and when he's released, he is under the care of a psychologist who teaches him CBT. And of course in CBT you learn the names of all these distortions, catastrophizing, black and white thinking, discounting the positives. So he learns to improve his own thinking, right, he goes back to his job and suddenly, out of nowhere, in the 2013 to 2014 academic year, he sees students demanding protections from speech, like keep that speaker out, don't teach this book, the students are acting as though words and books and ideas are dangerous, and they're justifying their demands with the exact cognitive distortions that he had learned to not do. So they're saying, if this speaker comes to campus, it will be traumatizing. People might die. Really? From a speaker that you don't have to go to? How would they actually, like, a little bit whole and hearted? Like, whoa, how would they die? But so he's puzzled by this. And then he comes to talk to me and says, John, you know, because i have written about CBT in, in my first book, The Hats of the So he comes to talk to me, and we have this great lunch, and I had just started to see the first signs of this new way of thinking in, in my students at NYU. So I joined him <laughs> on writing this up. We submitted it to the Atlantic in January 2015. What was happening around all this time, those of you who are in the United States who more Americans, you know this, this was when suddenly students were talking about trigger warnings. We have not heard these before. Trigger warnings on literature that might be upsetting. Request for safe spaces. If a speaker's coming that some students object to and find upsetting, they don't have to go to the talk, but now they want a space where they can recover. They can be healed from the trauma of having a speaker come to campus. And we were all like, what do you mean? Like, how are you unsafe? We couldn't understand it. Also, students started start talking about emotional safety. That became a thing. Emotional safety, here's a meme going around now. We are all balloons filled with feelings in a world filled with So it's a powerful metaphor, and boy, what a bad way to think about yourself. Mm
0: -hmm. That's Jonathan Haidt introducing us to just one of the three bad ideas that he and Lukianov cover in their book, The Coddling of the American Mind, and that is the untruth of fragility. What doesn't kill you makes you weaker. And he introduced us to the notion of anti-fragility, which is a term coined by Nassim Nicholas Taleb, a professor of risk engineering at New York University. And this suggested that our cultural tendency to protect our kids is actually doing them more harm than good, that kids are actually anti-fragile, which means they need to be exposed to risk and challenge and difficult situations in order to grow and thrive. And interestingly, he referenced researcher Peter Gray's work on free. while talking about this topic, which was kind of cool because, as regular listeners to the show would know, we had Peter Gray here as a guest on the podcast not that long ago. So that's been a fascinating session here at the Congress, and another session I've enjoyed from a big thinker in the field of positive psychology is Roy Baumeister, who presented on Thinking About the Future, Whether, When, Why, How, Who, What, and So What – And the research he presented explores how much we as humans think about the future, because as far as we know, that's a uniquely human thing to do. And as Baumeister points out, psychology and psychologists have historically focused much more on the past and what's happened in our past and how we think about what's happened in our past and the impact of these thoughts on our mental health and well-being. So his research has found that when we drill down into this stuff, that humans really don't think that much about the past in the course of everyday life, but we do tend to think about the future. We are, on the whole, a species of planners. So he and colleagues have developed a theory of what he calls pragmatic prospection, which is not easy to say, which is the mental act that we use to guide future actions for practical purpose. So this isn't thinking about the future in a kind of dreamy, fantasy, wouldn't it be lovely if way. It's thinking about what we want from the future and what we can do now to improve that future. So it really is very practical. And he proposes that the human mind has actually evolved to answer the question, what do I want to happen which is very much a planful way of thinking. And it's kind of cool when you think about it that a human mind has actually evolved to think about you know, what's going to happen in the future. And this is particularly interesting to me as a coaching psychologist because I'm working with clients every day who have goals that they're working towards in their career or their business or their creative pursuits or just in life in general – and we're often talking about how they're going to get from where they are now to where they want to be. So Baumeister's work is really digging down into this and clarifying the mental steps that we take when we make these kind of plans. Step one is dreaming big and positive, and step two is getting real and creating a plan of action. So here he is to tell us a little more about this.
7: In a sense, what you want to predict about the future is not what the final outcome will be, you want to predict where are the choice points you have to prepare for. Where are you going to have to have a decision ready? Where are you going to have to perform well and not screw up? So those are the things where there are crossroads and things can go this way or that. That's what you need to prepare for and predicting the final outcome is not nearly uh, as important. So uh, again, in terms of thinking about the future, is to produce pragmatic uh, benefits. You want to prepare for action. So you know, predicting How things are going to turn out, you know, that can be helpful and so on. I can't predict things that you have to uh, uh, deal with. And and there's two steps. Start by thinking of what you want, because you have to have some idea of what you'd like the future to be. Uh, But then get realistic to think of how to get there.
0: While we're talking about big thinking, there's maybe no bigger topic than finding meaning in life. And that's the topic covered in a keynote address by Michael Steger on the final day of the Congress.
7: The doing side is key. It's not one that we maybe think of right away when we think about reading Sartre or Camus or Heidegger, but doing something in life is really is really important. And in fact, Frankel also said, you know, if you're stuck, you don't search for happiness by trying to get happiness. You don't search for meaning by trying to pressure meaning out of circumstances. You just do something. You create, you relate, you process your suffering. So just get started. That's great advice. The best advice for anything meaning-related and anything positive, psychological-related start doing something,
0: right? And that is Michael Steger from the Centre for Meaning and Purpose at Colorado State University asking the question, what can we do to find more meaning in life? And in his presentation, he explored the many threads of experiments and clinical trials and pilot studies and meta-analyses, along with existential theory and ideas from social psychology and other fields to examine just how much work is really being done on this huge question of meaning and how we find it in our lives. And as he said, he's more drawn to questions than answers. So this presentation prompted lots of questions. Uh, Meaning in life is a a huge topic, but he concluded by really encouraging us to embrace the open-ended search for meaning as a meaningful activity in itself. So really being drawn to just exploring and thinking and wondering and testing rather than getting caught fixating on that specific question, what is the meaning of my life? And finally, Barbara Fredrickson, who is a luminary of positive psychology, and she introduced us to positivity resonance and the notion that momentary positive connections with others, so maybe our loved ones, but maybe complete strangers, is a form of love that is vital and necessary for our well-being as individuals and as communities, and she suggested that we kind of co-create these positive feelings through any kind of shared experience. So maybe a smile, maybe laughing together, maybe enjoying music together as part of a festival audience, maybe just helping somebody else out in a way that results in you both having a, a kind of micro moment of positivity, and that this creates a synchronous positive feeling so we're really kind of experiencing this at the same moment and that this is beneficial to everybody who's experiencing it at that moment so it could be an enormous audience at a as a concert or an orchestra performance all kind of experiencing the synchronous moment of positive feeling which is just such a glorious idea and again for me as a workplace psychologist i can really see how by creating more shared positive experiences, whether these are big or just small micro moments within workplaces, I can see how this process of positive resonance can really help us in organisations to thrive and to flourish.
3: What is becoming more clear is that when people are connected in these ways, sharing positive affect, our physiology is also connected. And this really begs the question of who does this emotion belong to? Is it this person's and that it was contaged over to this person? Or is it an emotion that belongs collectively to the people who are experiencing it? I mean, it's an arbitrary decision what the answer to that is in some ways. Um, over time, this is where the build part of the broaden and build theory factors into this, that moments that are characterized by these three facets, over time, build, That sense of, we really clicked and connected. I know many of us have that experience from being at this World Congress. And uh, for some, that's gonna lead to social bonds, friendships, collaborations, a peer in the field who we can share uh, best practices with. And sometimes can lead to more serious relationships than that, but that involve whether it's a friendship or a romantic relationship another kind of family relationship or colleague. When we share these kinds of moments, we feel more committed to them. Uh, We feel that we trust them uh, very deeply. So, I mean, these things are psychological features that we wring our hands and say, oh, how are we gonna build trust here? How are we gonna make people feel more committed to this organization, to this school? And Positivity Resonance Theory gives you a roadmap for how to build these things. Uh, A couple of uh, briefly preconditions uh, for positivity resonance. Uh, Perceived safety is one. Feeling that in this moment, I feel safe enough to connect with another. So this is a really poignant roadblock for the experience of positivity resonance or love. Um, And also a real key is real-time sensory connection. We saw this uh, illustrated really nicely in Sonia Lubomirsky's data yesterday where she found that as people come closer to being in real-time face-to-face connection, there's more of a sense of uh, warm connection And so what I'm arguing is that positivity resonance is uh, not exactly interchangeable with the word love and all the different ways we use it. But I would say, uh, humbly suggest that positivity resonance may be the most elemental building block of love. It's the momentary ingredient that builds lasting love relationships. It's the momentary uplift that makes us feel connected to community and connected to uh, the people who matter to us most.
0: The theme of the Congress is nexus, meaning connection. And even though I haven't made it to any of the big evening events, including the gala dinner that was held on Saturday night due to my family and life and travel juggle plus exhaustion, hats off to everybody here who's managed to pack in the full array of events because you have much greater stamina than I do. But this Congress has been a wonderful opportunity to make connections. Connections in ideas and understanding, connections of theory with practice in positive psychology and well-being, connections with new technology and products and training and learning opportunities social connections, collaboration connections, so listen in for some new podcast guests coming up as a result of this World Congress, and just the very positive human connection that we all need to thrive and flourish. So I'd like to leave you with some words from Professor Lee Waters, the outgoing president of IPA, as she closes the 6th World Congress on Positive Psychology, exemplifying what these four days have been all about.
4: And I really, really encourage you to leave today and think seriously about how it is that you're going to utilise these three days to build the field, um, to keep the work going and to not just have a fun three days because it's Australia and we know how to party, let's face it, but but take something concrete away with you. Because I mentioned to you in the opening ceremony that um, the work that we are all doing As a tribe, you know, be you a scientist in the basic scientist or the applied scientist, be you a practitioner, be you in a workplace, be you in school, etc. The work that we're doing is critical and it's so healing to the world. And um, many of you know my story, and I've shared my story publicly about uh, having uh, being a survivor of domestic violence in my childhood, being a survivor of both psychological and sexual abuse. And I do use the term survivor very. Deliberately because uh, also I've spoken publicly about this and many of you know that my sister was not a survivor and uh, Very sadly two and a half years ago. I lost her to suicide And the reason that I mentioned my sister is because today's her birthday And uh, So it's a very sad day for me But uh, I couldn't think of a better way to honor my sister and celebrate her birthday than to be here closing out our sixth Congress for Positive Psychology. And I really just urge you all, in whatever role you are working in this space, to please continue to do that. And whether it's in the healing area or whether it's in the sort of the flourishing end, whether you're doing it as a scientist or a practitioner, the work that we are doing is is really, truly important. Um, and so I just, I please, I encourage you all to take something of significance Um, and commit yourself to that when we leave the Congress today.
0: Such wonderful words from Lee Waters and others in the closing address for the Sixth World Congress on Positive Psychology. I am confident that we all walked away inspired to do more and be more once we've all had a little rest. So thank you so much for sharing the Upper World Congress with me. It has been great having you along. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I have. If you're interested in learning more about IPA, the International Positive Psychology Association, or maybe joining IPA, it is a member-based organisation with thousands of members from over 70 countries. And its vision is to integrate positive psychology activities, including research, science, education and practice, with media and communications and the work of various national and regional positive psychology associations across the globe. So it's a really big, ambitious mission. And it does give members the wonderful chance to be the first to hear about new developments and opportunities, both from IPA itself and more broadly from across the field of positive psychology. And talking about upcoming events, the big reveal at the close of the conference was the location for the 7th World Congress on Positive Psychology to be held in 2021. And that location is Vancouver, Canada. So maybe you'd like to plan a trip to Canada in two years' time, because I know I certainly am show notes for today's episode you will find links to the IPA website some of my photos from the World Congress and a couple of little videos I put together depicting the few days that I was there links to more detail about the speakers and presenters and exhibitors and their products and their books and detail about them uh, all of those that I've highlighted in this episode and while you're there in the show notes why not follow the links to leave a review of the podcast because we love reviews or share this episode with others that you think might enjoy it too it is super easy to share a podcast episode you can do it by social media sms email or just good old word of mouth And next week, we resume normal programming or semi-normal programming. Anyway, we're actually revisiting an earlier episode and an interview that I did with James Garrett on designing your mind for peak productivity and creativity. And we're revisiting this episode, not only because it's a great conversation about the science behind focus and attention and productivity and motivation, topics that I know I've been talking a lot about with my both organizational and individual coaching clients, but I'm also excited because James will be back on the show in the coming weeks to tell us a bit more about some self-experimentation that he's been doing in this area too. So that is next week on the Potential Psychology Podcast. Thank you as always for listening. It's so great to have you here. Go forth, thrive and flourish. And I look forward to seeing you again soon.